So we're going to start with an illustration on history. On September 2, 1945, at 9.02 in the morning, General MacArthur stepped before a battery of microphones and opened a 23-minute surrender ceremony to the waiting world by stating, it is my earnest hope, indeed the hope of all mankind, that from this solemn occasion, a better world should emerge out of the blood and carnage of the past. A world founded upon faith and understanding, a world dedicated to the dignity of man and the fulfillment of his most cherished wish for freedom, tolerance, and justice. These words were spoken in the uh, warship Missouri, and this happened after the Japanese representatives signed the terms of unconditional surrender. It is uh, discussed by historians if the nuclear bomb was an ethical thing to do. But the reality is that the Japanese knew months before that the war was over and that the only option was unconditional surrender. But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to give in to unconditional surrender. There was pride in not accepting the reality. Out of, out of that pride, more disaster happened. And we can be like that. We cannot accept the reality of life and our sense of pride can bring great disaster to our world, to our families, to our church. And you see an athlete trying to extend their career. I've been here for 16 years and I, got, I was able to see Michael Jordan playing to, for the Wizards. He should have not done that. <laughs> Maybe a retired entrepreneur that still thinks he's a great businessman and trying to do businesses that is not working out, that will continue to do that. Maybe a disqualified religious leader that continues to look to have his identity shaped by ministry. Maybe during that time in World War II, Japan took themselves too seriously. And many believers... We many times take ourselves too seriously. And we, don't, we don't, don't want to see that God called us to give to Him unconditional surrender. We take ourselves too seriously. Our dreams, our identity, our hopes, our work, our sports. Here's a running illustration. I take myself too seriously running. I stink if I compare myself with the Olympians. We do not see life in light of eternity. And we don't understand the deep problem of sin in our lives. And because of that, we take ourselves too seriously. We need to look at eternity. And we live in a world that puts man in the center of, his, of the social system. And that makes that we have too high value of man. Don't get me wrong. Man is valuable. The, the image of God is in us. And for believers, our value is not in ourself, but that Christ 
is our identity. For, for, but for the gospel to have real effect on us, we need to understand God is eternal and we are finite. God is eternal and we are finite. We have to believe what James 4 says. Our life is just a mist. So that we don't think too highly of ourselves, we need to see that God is eternal and that we are finite. Point number one, God is our eternal home. God is our eternal home. He is the place where we belong and we belong eternally with Him. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, all children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like a grass that is renewing the morning. In the morning it flourishes, and it's renewing the evening. It fades and wither. God is eternal, and His answer to our final reality, He is our hope. In Him we have an eternal home. Because we are finite, our answer to our, our state is that He is our eternal home. We have to look at Him as our hope because we are going to be over soon. Maybe the younger people here don't think that, but as we become to become older, and I'm 42, I know you, I look younger, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, and the hair starts falling in some places and growing in other places that we don't want. The reality is, we need to start looking where it's going to be my home. And our only answer that gives us hope, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. It's interesting that Moses, the one that wrote this psalm, is not only talking about himself. He's thinking more broadly. He's thinking that God is the dwelling place of his people in all generations. Many times we just think of ourselves and in our finite existence, in our lives, but we have something bigger given to all. That not only us, but our children and the children of our children and the children of our children. And you know where I'm going over and over and over. Lord, the Lord will be their dwelling place. But because we take sometimes ourselves too seriously and think more about career, sports, summer league, rec league, name it. We forget that he's our dwelling place. That this life will be over soon. And that we need for him to be the place where we rest. Dwelling place is a place that you feel safe. It's like a home. It's where you feel secure. It's like uh, the, the other day we were driving from, I think we were coming from Myrtle Beach or somewhere, and just like an hour before, you could see the sky, the sky, the, the, the sky getting all gray and thunder, and our daughter was going to start to get scared. And mom also, don't tell her that I say that. <laughs> and, you know, we were getting closer to Gatesburg, and I say to her, don't worry, 
were getting home. That comfort her. God is that place. He's the place that we can feel safeness. He's the center of everything. For me and my generation and the generation after, by His mercy and His grace. And how we know that? Because God has always been God. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We can trust that He can be our eternal dwelling place because He is eternal. He's been forever and He's going to be there forever. So in our finite problem, we put our hope in Him. He's going to be there from, from the beginning to the end. And then you can, we can see that He controls our destiny. That's why we cannot take ourselves too seriously. Our life is in His hands. Verse 3, you return man to dust. We don't do it. He does it. He returns us to dust. He's the one moving that forward. He's the one that has that in His hands. So because of that, we cannot take ourselves too highly. We cannot think too highly of ourselves. Even that, going back to dust, it's in His control. And then we see that God is above time. Time does not restrain God. Verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but just as yesterday when it passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweat them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. Those three verses he's telling us, our life is nothing like this. God, for God, one, a thousand years like a day. And we're here so worried for like our 60, 70, we we're going to see it's like 80 years kind of like time frame. And for him it's nothing. Our life comes and goes. So because of that, I think, one application that we will see is like, when we are in front of the eternity of God, that humbles us. And we don't think that highly of ourselves. When we take ourselves too seriously, we're not seeing how we compare to an eternal God. Don't get me wrong. We need to take life seriously. What we do, we do with intention and we do it for the glory of God. But sometimes when we try to do that, we tend thinking too highly of ourselves. And we need to, to be careful not to mix those things together. We need to, with intention, do things for God, important things for God. But that doesn't mean that we th need to think too highly of ourselves. Because maybe the other side is, well, if God is eternal, my life is like a minute. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to rest and wait. This is not the application. That's going to the other side. It's that combination that we do, but what we do, we don't think too much of ourselves. Because He's eternal. So that we do not think too highly of ourselves, we need to see that God is eternal and we are finite. Point number two, man is, fi man is finite and sinful. Man is finite and sinful. Verse 7. For we are brought to an end 
By your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all your days pass away under your wrath. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our, our years to, to an end like a sight. The years of, of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are so soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Again, remember, this was written by Moses. And Moses is reflecting now on three things. He first saw the eternity of God, and now he sees death, suffering, and judgment. He's talking about death, suffering, and judgment. You see the judgment on God in verse 7. You see death in verse 9 and 10. You know, our, our lives are only 70 or 80 years. So he's saying we're going to, to die at some point. And then he sees judgment in, 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 in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. So he's, he's thinking about those terms, which... They are there because of what? Why there's death? Why there's suffering? Why there's judgment of God? Because of our sin. Verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, when we see suffering, when we see all the different ways that, that, that sin affects humans. We need to learn to hate sin. We need to learn to hate sin. Because our sin is in front of God. And sin causes judgment, causes suffering, and causes death. When you see an injustice, it should make you hate, hate the sin. And want to die for it. That should be a motivation for sanctification. Because we need to understand something. I, see Mo I think Moses is understanding that. We are part of the problem. We are part of the problem of sin in the world. There's death, there's judgment, and there's suffering because of sin. And we all have sin. And many times, we take ourselves too seriously, Christians, because now we think we're not part of the problem. We forget that we still... Our, we forget that we're still contributing with our sin. The difference is our sins are cleaned by the blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ. So we have a high opinion of ourselves. We don't get it because we don't see how we're still contributing to the problem of sin. Verse 8, this is about, about Moses and the people of God. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God sees Everything. We cannot uh, hide or run from him. C.S. Lewis says something. No man knows how, how bad he is until he tra has tried very hard to be good. I'm going to say that again. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. You know what, who, makes, who that makes me think of? My, Martin Luther. The life of Martin Luther is like two, two, two separate lives. He really tried to be good. And some of, the, some of the things that draw him to the gospel was that he saw he cannot be good. 
I think sometimes in the Christian culture, we become content with being okay. And that quiet our consciences, and we think we're all right, but we are not really trying to be good. Because when we really try to be good, we see how evil we are. And that should humble us. And that should make us don't take ourselves too seriously. I was in the Dominican Republic. That's not my country, Larry. It's the next island, the next island. One more. You, you're almost there. It's like, it's like, like 100 more miles. Uh, but I was in the Dominican Republic in, in, uh, in, uh, in May. It's funny, that, that humbles me because Puerto Ricans, we don't like to be called Dominicans. So I'm like, okay, God, I need to preach this sermon to myself. I don't need to take it myself too seriously. Yeah, sure. Whatever, whatever works for you. So I was in the Dominican Republic in this big conference with uh, uh, that Miguel Nunez is a friend of Sovereign Grace hosting. And uh, so there was uh, Dever, there was uh, Al Mohler, and MacArthur. And I wasn't going to say, but it was MacArthur, okay. Uh, did uh, like a, a, a preaching through video. And he said something that struck me that I don't agree. He said, I, I do not laugh anymore because of how much people sin against God. And I completely disagree with that. Because I think when you think that way, when you don't laugh anymore because people are sinning, I think you're forgetting that you are part of the problem of, of sin because you're still sin. And I think you're forgetting the gospel. You can laugh because your, your sin has been forgiven. Those sins that are in front of God, He don't see them anymore because through Jesus they are all forgiven. And that's the reason we don't take ourselves or think ourselves too highly because our biggest problem being in front of a God that can brought anger and judgment to us is so through the blood of Christ. He's the one that we have to think highly of. He's the one that we need to give praises, not ourselves. And that leads to, leads to a prayer that Moses do. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. When we see eternity... When we see our sin, we should know our life are not forever. And that should give us the wisdom to do what is important for the kingdom. When we see how God sees times and when we see we are sinners, we do not live for the moment. We do not take ourselves too seriously. We are just a vapor. If we do not understand the relationship between sin, death, suffering, we would just live for the moment. The foolish just live for today. They don't care about eternity. Many people think they will live forever. I think medicine, HOAs, uh, I don't know, uh, healthy eating, organic food. You know, now we think if I eat healthy, if I run enough, if I do, I'm going to extend my life. No, you won't. 
I'm going to share something with all due respect with, of anybody older than 70 years old. I was talking in my church, and I was saying that I, I have a rule. I don't meet alone with females. I don't meet alone with females. Uh, my office in my home, if I'm meeting with a female, my, my, my wife will be in the house. The door will be open. And there's some subjects that I will talk only if my wife is there. So it's a hard set rule. And I say something, well, maybe if you are 70 years old, it's okay. And some ladies got offended. And I'm like, if you think I'm going to have sexual thought at you at 70, you are thinking too highly of yourself. <laughs> because it's coming. And it's coming for all of us. It is coming. It is coming. But because now, now, everything is telling us that we are going to be eternal in this life. People are foolish and don't get ready for death. This is the point I want to bring. At 40, you need to start thinking about that. But we don't even think at 40 about that day. At 50, at 60, at 70. We need to think about that day. Dr. Mace is not going to be your, your, your savior forever with, with something, some treatment. It's going to come. So I hope you see the point I was trying to make with that comment. I wasn't trying to be funny. I was trying to make the point that I think many times we're not aware. And we're living like we're going to live forever. I see people that should be thinking about death thinking about buying condos. I see people that should be thinking about being prepared for the, getting ready and giving their life to the next generation, thinking about buying sports cars. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because we are not being wise in counting our days. We're just seeing today. So when we take ourselves seriously, we just don't live for today. We live for eternity. So that we do not think of too highly of ourselves, we need to see that grace is eternal and we're finite. Point number three, His grace is irreplaceable. His grace is irreplaceable. We're finite. He's eternal. His grace is irreplaceable. We need to understand it. this. Grace is not just a good thing. Grace is not just something nice. Grace is not something, oh, how, how good from God. No, we need it like nothing. It's irreplaceable. We need it like nothing that we need. And our prayer should look at that, and we should be more and more and more dependent of His grace. Because if we are not dependent of His grace, we're saying we're thinking too highly of ourselves. We think we can create that grace. Verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. That's a prayer that we see in the, in the, in the Psalms. How long, O Lord? Until when? It's have mercy on us, Lord. 
the greatest part of this psalm is that for us now, we know that God had mercy on us. He had mercy on us on a place called Calvary. And we know that He's not far from us. He's our dwelling place. He's near. And we can trust in that because His grace is irreplaceable for us. And when we see that, our prayers start to change. I think that the the prayer of Moses changed a little bit. He was moving from uh, uh, this, this situation that was kind of difficult. He's eternal and finite to this uh, uh, pray to God to say, God, I want you near me. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that you may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for us many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious powers to their children. Do you see now? He's, he's, he's asking, satisfy me, Lord. Make us glad. Uh, let your works be shown to your servant. This is the effect of the gospel in his people. When the gospel comes, when we see his grace, we just don't want to be okay. Happy life. Go to heaven. We want more of God. Satisfy me. Make me happy. Make me glad in you, Lord. Because you are my eternal dwelling place. You are the place that I'm going to. I want to start experiencing you now, today, this morning, this place, at this time. I don't just want to wait. I want to, you to be near to me now. Because you are my dwelling place. Because you are what I need let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. I don't know you, but my, my mind is drawn here to the gospel. He has shown his work. He has shown his glorious power to their children in Calvary where our sins were taken away. In verse 17, Moses finished saying, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And I want to help you to to understand this verse because we can use this verse, you know, somebody's telling you, can you pray for me because I will be going to, to a new job and I want to do well on that job. And you say, oh, I have a verse for you. Establish the work of our hands upon us. So the work of your hand can be established on that job and you can do well on that job. You're using that verse incorrectly. That's not what Moses was telling. What was the work of Moses? What was Moses working on? He was moving the people of God from Egypt to the promised land. That was the work. The work was moving the people of God from the place of slavery to the promised land. And he's asking Establish the work of our hand upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Let, the, let the, uh, the work that we're doing be that you are a dwelling place through generations and generations and generations and generations. Lord, make that happen. Your promise to Abraham, make it happen now to us. That was what Moses was uh, asking when he was saying establish the work of our hands. How, how, how did God answer that prayer? 
It's kind of interesting because he didn't get to go to the promised land. God did not allow him to enter. But think about this. When do we see Moses again in the Bible? In the month of transfiguration. The work of God's hand was established. He was able to be in the dwelling place that we all want to be. He didn't get to the promised land in Israel, but he got to our promised land, which is Jesus. God did confirm the work of his hands. So what is the application? The application is we are not that important. We're talking about Moses. This is a, a person in history that, 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 that did great things for God, and God didn't allow him to enter the promised land. But he entered the real promised land. Because the important is Jesus. It's God. The question is, do I take myself seriously? Or do I take seriously the work of the Lord? What are we living for? What is the work of your hand? How do you know if you are thinking too highly of ourselves? I'm going to finish by giving you some maybe areas that you may consider to see if, if maybe you are not looking at your life in light of the eternity, in light of, your, of the eternity of God, or light, in light that you are finite and a sinner, and in light that we need the grace of God. Because to enter the promised land, we do need the grace of God. The grace of God. I say number one, I think we need to submit our lives to the word of God. We shouldn't be picking and choosing which passages are good for us or not good for us. Because when we're doing that, you're thinking too highly of yourself. You are the final authority. You are the one that decides if that passage applies to your life or don't apply to your life. We are not that concerned with outside religious practices that may make us look good in front of our congregations. But we're concerned if our heart desires the dwelling place of God. And that may look by other people. But in your, in your, in your lonely time, in your bed when nobody sees you, it's your, it's your inclination toward the grace of God. I'm going to give now more, some more that are a little more applicable to the daily life. I, don't, I think we, we see the eternity of God, our sinfulness, and the grace of God when we are open to receive criticism. I think when we are not open to receive criticism, we're thinking too highly of ourselves. I'm not saying that every criticism is true, but we're saying that you're open to receive it. I think we don't think too highly of ourselves when we serve others. And church, you guys are an example of this. You are outstanding on this. Thank you for doing that. I think you serve others when every time that I come here, I feel welcome. I feel uh, appreciated. 
And that's the grace of God that you guys are looking to serve others. We think too highly of ourselves when we have strong opinions about things that are preferences. We need to have strong opinions about the Trinity. We need to have strong opinions about the divinity of Christ. There's other things that are just preferences. If we should be a wall or not. <laughs> if you live in anxiety, maybe you're thinking too highly of ourselves. Because maybe your anxiety is related that you want to look perfect in front of everybody. Maybe it's not that you don't like to receive critic. Maybe if you are critical of everybody. You are the final authority and every, everybody should do things the way you should do it. Maybe you see life and everybody should do life the way you do it. I'm going to use a silly thing, but you, have you see how many people have strong opinions about Pokemon Go? <laughs> it's the work of the devil. It's a great way of evangelism. Which one? Oh man, the Bible is full of Christians' liberties. We need to be aware of those and don't take ourselves too seriously. When you don't take yourself, you don't think too highly of yourself, you don't get offended too easily. When the person in the hallway didn't say hi to you, you just didn't went to offense mode. Maybe he just needed to go to the restroom. <laughs> this is one I think is important. You, take too, you think too highly of yourself if you don't know how to laugh at yourself. Oh, there's plenty to laugh. There's so much to laugh. My good friends, they help me to keep humble. And these are my good friends. Don't start doing it yourself. <laughs> these are my, my, my close, close, close friends. And I run and run and run and run. And I'm still a skinny fat. I look skinny, but there's something here that doesn't go away. It, it is laughable. You know how much exercise I do? <laughs> And I should laugh at it. I'm not Abe, you know, that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's okay. We laugh at ourselves. There's many things to laugh at ourselves. And then I think a last one that I'm giving, and I'm finishing up. We learn to differentiate between a trial and an inconvenient. When we don't take ourselves too highly, when we don't think too highly of ourselves, we, need to, we learn to differentiate between a trial and an inconvenient. When your tire is punctured, that's an inconvenient. That's not a trial. When you have to take the bus because your, your car is broken down, believe me, I know it's hard in Montgomery County that is hard to understand. But that is an inconvenient. But because we think so highly of ourselves, we think the world should be perfect for us. Oh, trials. Trials are people are living in, in, uh, with ISIS and being Christians. Trials are all the brothers or sisters here dealing with uh, chronic diseases. But we learn to that, and that helps us to be joyful. 
Because I think many times we're not joyful because we think too highly of ourselves and we don't know how to understand the difference between a trial and an inconvenient. I'm going to end with a quote by Martin Luther. You have to understand, Luther changed history. Many lists put him the top 10 people in the entire history of the world as influential in changing history. And the thing is, Luther knew he was changing history. He knew he was a rock star back then. People were like, we did, they didn't have Lufthansa or, or uh, uh, airlines. People were traveling all over Europe just to get to listen to him. And look, look what Luther said when they asked him how he did what he did. He said, take myself as an example. I oppose indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And, I, and while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer, it's good for Luther to say that, with my friends Philip and Asmore, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Luther did not take himself too highly because he was aware of his sinfulness. He was aware of the eternity of God. And he was aware of the grace of God. And he was aware that God is the one that controls the universe. So listen to me, church. I'm not saying that we don't care. No, we care. We care about what is important, which is the, word, the work of the hands of the Lord. And we give ourselves by the grace and the mercy of God to build that. Because we don't take ourselves too seriously. But we take the word of God and the work of the gospel as an important thing. Let's pray. God, thank you for your work through generations. Thank you that you were thinking about all your people when Moses was asking that you should be our dwelling place for generations and generations. And we pray that as we see your eternity, as we see our sinfulness, but as we see our, your grace, we will not think too highly of ourselves, but we will think highly of you. Amen. And that you will be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.